Today we continue our study of the New Testament book of Acts. The book of Acts is all about radical sweeping changes. It reveals how people are progressively, patiently transformed once they enter God's kingdom. And one of the most fundamental transformations unfolds in the arena of our will. We all enter this world asserting our own will and demanding our own way. And age does nothing to decrease that impulse. In fact, it only solidifies it. But once we've been liberated by God's grace, our outlook changes. The Holy Spirit births within us a desire to know God's will and pursue God's will for our lives. But let's be frank. Sometimes it's hard to discern what God is saying and where God is leading us. Other times it's clear to us, but it's not so clear to others. And so they question our decision and we begin to second-guess ourselves. Acts records a time when the Apostle Paul clearly had heard from God, and he responded appropriately. But close friends who had also heard from God tried to talk him out of his decision. It's a story that offers us some valuable lessons about discerning God's will and doing God's will when others feel we're mistaken. It all unfolds in chapters 20 and 21, and I want to read a portion of it from chapter 21, beginning in the 12th verse. When we heard this, we as well as the local residents began begging him not to go up to Jerusalem. Then Paul answered, What are you doing? weeping and breaking my heart. For I am ready not only to be bound, but even to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And since he would not be persuaded, we fell silent, remarking, the will of the Lord be done. I've entitled today's teaching, Going to Jerusalem when no one thinks you should. Let's pray together. Gracious Heavenly Father, I covet a fresh infilling from your Holy Spirit so that I can teach faithfully, and we covet a fresh anointing from the Spirit so that we can hear this day what you are saying to us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. And as we study God's Word together today, may the Lord be with you. You've all heard the expression, when all else fails, read the directions. But we don't always follow that advice. Years ago, I set out to assemble a nightstand for my son's bedroom. I had purchased it from Ikea. 
I read somewhere recently that hell might be a place where you spend all of eternity assembling Ikea furniture. That would certainly explain the biblical references to weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. When I set about to assemble my son's nightstand, I laid all the pieces on the floor, and it appeared to be a rather straightforward proposition. So I jumped into assembling the nightstand without reading the directions. And that proved to be a big mistake because I used the one and one-eighth inch screws where I was supposed to use the one-inch screws. And as a result, the legs didn't align properly and the top didn't sit on the legs properly. So I had to go back to the drawing board. I had to read the directions, remove the screws, and start all over, all while muttering the Lord's praises under my breath. <laughs> the need to take a step back and consult the directions isn't limited to assembling oddly named inexpensive pine wood furniture. Sometimes we need to read the directions and start over where God's will is concerned. Scripture tells us that the will of God is good, it's acceptable, and it's perfect. And given God's perfection, that makes perfect sense. But given our imperfections, we often struggle to make sense of it. God's goodwill doesn't always look good from our vantage point. His acceptable will is often hard for us to accept. And His perfect will often seems far from perfect. Adjectives like confusing, or frustrating, or disappointing, feel far more appropriate. Things don't appear to be aligning properly. They don't fit. So we need to go back and read God's directions. And when we do, we discover that Jesus didn't instruct us to pray, Thy will be done. He instructed us to pray, Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done. And what God has joined together, we must not separate. Let me suggest why that's the case, beginning with a working definition for God's will, one that explains Jesus' instructions. God's will is the outworking of His love for us, and for a broken world. That's why we should never fear God's will, resist God's will, or attempt to flee from God's will. Now, I know that now, but I didn't recognize that as a teenager. I was convinced that if I told God I was willing to obey His will, He would immediately ship me off to Africa as a missionary to see if I really meant it or to remind me of who's in charge. You see, I thought of God's will as a test 
of my devotion or as an expression of His control. As a result, the idea of God's will was intimidating rather than inviting. So I fought it for years, all in the name of self-defense. But when you box with God, you eventually discover His arms are longer than yours. When I jabbed in fear, God counterpunched in His love. And it took a while, but He showed me His will is not a threat. It's His love that nothing He wills for me will fall outside of His love for me and for a broken world. And while it took a while, I eventually stopped fighting. And I started taking my mistaken notions of God's will to the curb. I began to learn that His will really is good and acceptable and perfect. But I still wasn't seeing everything necessary to discerning God's will. I needed to learn that when you seek God's will, you'll often struggle to discern it if you overlook this simple fact. God wills more than the blessing of His people. He wills the salvation of those still outside His kingdom. So if we fail to consider the latter, we'll struggle to discern the former. Why? Because we won't be looking at the big picture. We'll have spiritual blinders on. We'll suffer from spiritual tunnel vision. That's why Jesus, when He instructed us how to pray, coupled praying for God's will with praying for the coming of God's kingdom. You see, if we overlook God's kingdom, as we seek His will, our search will be limited, incomplete. We'll only see what appears to be best for us. We'll only think in those terms. We won't think in terms of what's best for the coming of His kingdom to our neighbor, to our neighborhood, to our nation, and to our world. We'll interpret the words of the Holy Spirit in terms of our safety or our comfort or our agenda or our hopes or our emotions or our income or our success or our convenience rather than in terms of God's kingdom. And doing that severely limits your ability to discern the voice of God. You end up settling for confusion where God desires clarity. And worse, it means you'll inevitably settle for less. And here's why I say that. What's best for the kingdom is ultimately best for us. It's not an either-or proposition. You don't have to pick one or the other. It's always best for us 
even when that doesn't appear to be the case. And frankly, many times it doesn't appear to be the case. When Paul followed the Spirit to the city of Jerusalem, he was following the leading of the Holy Spirit, but he was also following the example of his Messiah, Jesus. You remember earlier, Jesus had gone to Jerusalem. Scripture says he set his face toward Jerusalem in obedience to the Father, knowing that Jerusalem for him meant crucifixion. Paul, years later, also set his face toward Jerusalem, knowing full well it meant affliction and incarceration. Both Paul and Jesus acted in the interests of God's kingdom, and we now know they were acting in our best interests. On the way to Jerusalem, Paul learned that God's people may unknowingly hinder God's will. Now, we all know that when we set out to perform the will of God, Satan is going to seek to hinder us. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood. We wrestle against principalities and powers and spiritual forces of wickedness. They will always try to hinder the outworking of God's will in our life. But what we may forget is that God's people may unknowingly, not consciously, but unknowingly hinder God's will. As Paul journeyed to Jerusalem, he stopped in Ephesus. And when they heard what he was planning to do and what God had told him was awaiting him, they wept with him before they sent him on his way. That had to make his journey a bit more difficult. But things were going to intensify. At his next stop in the city of Tyre, his friends literally told him, you shouldn't go to Jerusalem. And then in the city of Caesarea, his own team, Luke and the others who had traveled with him, suffered with him, saw the miracles of God with him, preached with him, served with him, his own team joined the local believers begging him to stay away from Jerusalem. Now, when your homies start begging you to stay away, that's when things get really difficult. And Paul's very emotional response, and it's tucked into the original language, his highly emotional response indicates they were getting to him. What are you doing, he said. You're breaking my heart. But he made it clear, I'm going to Jerusalem. And Luke tells us with that, his friends said, the will of the Lord be done. Now, you know as well as I do how they said that. It wasn't a declaration of confidence. The will of the Lord be done. No, it was an expression of sadness and resignation. The will of the Lord be done. And it reminds us, Paul's story reminds us, 
that the most difficult challenges to obeying God and obeying God's will may come from those who love us. Those who love us. A parent who wants us to be financially secure, whatever that means in this world. Friends who want us to remain in our hometown. A spouse who can't bear the thought of us enduring misunderstanding and ridicule. A family that fears for their economic future. When God called the founder of the worldwide movement we're a part of, the Christian and Missionary Alliance, when God called A.B. Simpson to leave the perceived security of his affluent New York City congregation and what amounted to in that day a six-figure salary to start with a vision all alone with absolutely no income and to do it in the heart of New York City, his wife repeatedly pleaded with him to reconsider and to stop. But it would not be an exaggeration, not at all, to say that today literally millions of people from over 70 nations on the face of this earth are in the kingdom of God because Simpson stepped past the objections of those who loved him and obeyed God's kingdom, kingdom commission. The account of Paul's determined march to Jerusalem teaches us that we are prone to misinterpret God's will when we interpret it in light of our own emotions rather than God's kingdom agenda. You see, the believers in Ephesus and in Tyre and in Caesarea loved Paul. He had led them to Jesus. He walked them out of the dark and into the light. He was their spiritual father. And the thought of him suffering and languishing in a prison, which was far different from prisons today, well, that, that was something they couldn't entertain. So when they heard the prophecy of affliction, they added their love to that prophecy and came up with the conclusion, Paul, you should not go. It was an emotional reaction. In contrast, Paul, when he heard the prophecy, affliction and imprisonment awaits you, added his kingdom commission. I have raised you up to appear before Gentiles and rulers for the sake of my kingdom. And he concluded, I must go. Same revelation, same prophetic word, one added love and fear, the other added a kingdom commission, and they came up to two totally opposite conclusions. But Paul got it right. He looked through the lenses of kingdom, and he followed Jesus' directions. Now, I want to remind you that if you're following Jesus, 
eventually he's going to call you to a Jerusalem. By a Jerusalem, I mean a place of difficulty, a place of apparent setback, perhaps a place of suffering. Most Jerusalems don't involve imprisonment, physical hardship, or death. But the Jerusalems that we are called to might involve emotional, relational, financial, vocational, and spiritual challenges that put us well outside our comfort zone. Assignments that demand we move past our fears, past our insecurities, past our doubts, and past our self-interests for the sake of God's kingdom. Assignments like a change in vocation or location, extending forgiveness to someone who hurt you deeply and repeatedly, severing an ungodly relationship releasing a son or daughter to God's call on their life, confessing a long-hidden sin, or taking a risk of faith. And when God calls you to your Jerusalem, if you only pray, Lord, help me to know your will, and forget thy kingdom come, you're going to struggle. Clarity, conviction, and courage will elude you because it's hard to be courageous when you aren't even clear about what you're supposed to do. And those things won't elude us because God is being evasive. It's because we aren't following Jesus' directions. Before I close in prayer, praying that God will help us to follow instructions when we seek His will, I want to leave you with two additional takeaways. Because the Word of God is deep and rich, there's always so much tucked into it that we can't do all of it justice in a few moments. But I want to leave you with these two takeaways. First of all, since all of us are prone to add our own emotions, our own interests, our own agendas to God's revelations, wisdom calls us to seek open and candid relationships with believers who see things differently than we do. Believers from diverse ethnic and cultural and political backgrounds. You see, we all have a nasty habit of hanging out with people who are just like us. Because as I said last week and the week before, we may say we want to be transformed. But when push comes to shove, more often than not, we want to be affirmed. We want to be told we're right, that we're good to go just as we are. Hanging with people who are just like you helps you to stay in that position of spiritual blindness. But when you form open relationships, candid relationships, transparent relationships with people of different ethnicities and cultures who don't see things the way you do. It gives God an opportunity to show you His leading through fresh eyes, 
through fresh ears. And that will help you in the discerning process. I would summarize it this way. Diversity helps us all to think kingdom and to discern God's will. Second, all of us need to be very careful that we don't allow our own fears and our own loves to quench someone else's godly courage. We need to avoid being like the Ephesians and the citizens of Tyre and the citizens of Caesarea who said, Paul, don't go, you can't go, when he knew God wanted him to go. If we always seek to shield our friends, our children, from hardship, we will likely end up shielding them from growth and obedience and achievement. I'd like to suggest a mature church is made up of people who trust God's will enough to allow God's people to struggle with it. I think I've shared with you when I came to ACAC 34 plus years ago and God gave me the vision for what He wanted to do. And it was far different from what I inherited. I talked to one of the leading church growth experts in the United States. I was at a seminar he was holding. I shared that vision that I knew God had put upon my heart, and I'll never forget his response. He said, well, I don't believe you'll be able to do that. And then he told me all the reasons why. Now, I'm not accusing him of being demonic <laughs> or God's enemy. No, he was a godly man who has impacted thousands of lives. But that day, he actually, with his words discourage me in pursuing what God had shown me. Don't ever be that person. When a friend says, I believe God's calling me to such and so, help them to evaluate it. Help them to determine if it's their own wishful thinking or if it's really from God. But once they know it's from God, don't discourage them because you may keep them from their Jerusalem, and that may keep others from knowing Jesus. Let's pray together. Gracious Heavenly Father, we all struggle with knowing Your will, and then once we know it, that's when the struggles often really begin and kick into high gear, because we struggle to believe that that's got to work out that it's got to be good for us, that it's got to be good for others. And we often think in that precise order. Lord, help us to follow Jesus' instructions, Jesus' example, and Paul's example, and go to our Jerusalems even when nobody else thinks we should go. In Jesus' name, amen and amen.